It's great to see all you guys. Let's let's get started. If I didn't get to shake your hand or say hello to you, I, I want to do that afterwards. Please come up and speak. I have to say I've had a great deal of anxiety about presenting today. And uh, it's like I told my new friend Eric Wilson, when it comes to racial relations, I'm a novice, okay? I'm an apprentice. I'm learning from you, okay? Uh, and I'm learning through our church. And so I feel a bit anxious about that. But having met you and hugged some of your necks, I just feel much better about it now. So, so let's pray before we start. Lord, we are so grateful for your day, for your glory, for your majesty, for being our sustainer, our provider, our father the one who loves us when no one else will, the one who open arms, forgives us, accepts us. Thank you for those of us that are here today. Lord, may you lift up among the people of your world a sense of love. Defeat hate. Defeat division. Help us to come together as one. Help us to, to see each other for who we are. Help us to celebrate who we are in our diversity. But at the same time, help us to be so united in heart with Jesus that nothing can defeat us. We thank you. And we love you. And we pray through Jesus our Lord who lives with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm Steve Puckett. Uh, I've been at the Melbourne Church for 34 years. I have two adopted daughters we're about to have. Come on in, brother. Good to see you. Good to see you. We have um, one great grandbaby, Charlotte, that's on the way. And... Uh, my wife is a professor of uh, 34 years also at Eastern Florida State College. Come on in, sister. Uh, and I, I went to Harding School of Theology. I went to Freed Hardeman in my undergraduate years. And I actually took some classes, attended Fuller Theological Seminary out here uh, for a little while. And as I said, I'm a, an apprentice when it comes to, uh, to racial uh, unity. This is our church family. I don't know how well you can see them there. But we are, we are pretty diverse in our appearance. We're trying to be more diverse in our culture. Uh, but it is a job. It is a work. It, is a, it, it takes time to do that. As you say, the easiest thing to do is to be like the world. The hardest thing to do is to allow all of God's children to come together in one place. And so we're thankful for all of these people in our church family. We're thankful for their love and what they do for us. Let me tell you a little bit about my personal journey. Uh, I grew up in northern Alabama in the segregated south. Uh, when I started middle school, the, the uh, school where I went had just been integrated. Uh, there was a black school in the town, the high school. They closed the school. They opened up uh, uh, the, the, where the school, the high school, the white high school was. They integrated. Uh, I went to that school. Uh, when I grew up, I remember when I was five or six years old, we had African Americans that worked on my grandfather's farm. And I remember there was this one older gentleman that uh, my mom, we would have dinner a lot of times at our house. And this one older man who was kind of the, the, the foreman for my grandfather's farm, uh, he would sit out of the tree and my mother would take food out to him and it just broke her heart that he would not come into the house and eat with us. And I remember my dad saying something like, Red, that's my mother's name, Red, it's just not time yet. And, uh, and I didn't understand what that meant. And I was also broken hearted, so she sent me out there with a plate and so I sat out there under that big oak tree that sadly is gone now. And I sat with this man that probably didn't have a third grade education, but I'm telling you he's one of the smartest people I've ever known. And I don't remember any one word that he said, but I just remember that he had a wise look in his eyes and he had an ancient soul inside. I could tell. Just even at a young age, I could tell that. And so my mom and dad, farmers, worked in factories. They, they wanted something better for their children. They said, education is the clue. That's what you got to do. My dad said, you need to be a lawyer. That's what you need to do. My mother said, you need to be a doctor. That's what you need to do. 
And so I went off to Freed Hardeman College and I majored in pre-med and Bible and, and went all the way through, uh, passed the, the AMCAP the medical exam, was thinking about interviewing and all of that. And through a course of events, God said, no, that's not what I have in mind for you. And I have to tell you that God brought me kicking and screaming into being a preacher because I did not want to be a preacher. I'd seen how preachers were treated. I knew what we talked about every Sunday at lunch. And so I did not want to be a preacher. But God's plan, and here's another thing, I never wanted to live in Florida. My wife and I started looking around for churches. We said, we'll go anywhere but Florida. And so this is what God does for you. He brings you down, you know. He brings you down to your knees, and He brings you to the place He wants you to be. And as I said, 34 years later, here I am. Well, as I went along my journey, I have to say that I would chime right in with my friends. I would, I would share whatever the latest racial joke was. I would just jump in. You know, I, I didn't stand up for anybody. Even though I've had some influence in my mother and this kind man that I mentioned, I still was a very, uh, very much in that mode of life along those years. And then, of course, as I said, one thing that changed everything was coming to Melbourne, Florida. You know? And over time, through a course of events that I'll tell you about today, uh, I have learned a great deal and God has brought me through those attitudes and those attitudes of heart to a better place. And He's helped me to see, thank the good Lord, that we are all God's children and that He has a tremendous future for us. And so my wife and I now, when we'll have students of hers out to our house, or back in the day when we had students at Freed Hardeman out to our house, we see these students that come from all walks, from all cultures, from all life, and we ache with them when we hear them tell their stories, when they tell their experiences. And we think, how in the world could anyone, even though we know the South, even though we grew up near Birmingham, even though we saw the pictures in the TV at the time live in our home, uh, we still, at this point in our life, we, we just agonize that people have to experience still, even today, some of the tremendous uh, hate that goes on in our world. So that's a little bit about my personal journey, where I've come to. I love the Brazilian author Paulo Freire. Uh, he wrote Pedagogy of the Oppressed. If you haven't read it, it's quite an academic work, so it's not an easy book to get through. But most people don't know that the majority of slaves did not come to the U.S. Only about 388,000 slaves came to the U.S. There were 10.7 million that survived the journey across from Africa. Most of them went to South America. And Freire has been a real proponent of the poor, the disenfranchised, the marginalized. And he says no one can be authentically human while he prevents other people from being so. When we stand along the sidelines while other people are being marginalized, oppressed, and hated, we are just as guilty as the people that are doing it. Uh, God came into this world so that every person in, from every nation, from every ethnic group could be fully human. That's what God wants for every one of us. Now let me tell you a little bit about our family story. This is our family. We sometimes say, this is us, okay? Um, this is our family. Uh, one of the things that God did for us, uh, we were about, I guess we're in our late 20s, approaching 30s, and we're, you know, trying to have a family. We're both working. My wife's teaching. I'm preaching and doing all these different jobs, and, and you know, we, we, we begin the process trying to have a family. We never had a family. Uh, we never had kids of our own, our, our biological children. We did some testing, but we said we're not going to go beyond just the basic testing. We're not taking any drugs. We're not going to do any of that. And we had talked about all of our life being foster parents. We had done a little bit of that in Memphis, Tennessee. We talked about adopting children. We said there's so many kids in the world that need families that don't have families. And so we got to chatting. We finally decided this is what we're going to do. So there was a man that had been a member of our church years ago. His name was Tom Slaughter. And he got his degree in sociology. 
and he became the director of Agape of North Carolina in Greensboro, North Carolina. So I met Tom and we had actually supported their efforts a little bit, our family, our, my wife and I had. And so we called Tom up on the phone and he said, well, you know, why don't you just come up next weekend and we'll talk about it. So we went up there and we went through, I mean, a rigorous process. And my feeling is now everybody that has a kid should have to go through that. <laughs> because, you know, it gets you to thinking, is this really what I want to do? And they kind of give you a little bit of an owner's manual. You know, if you have, you have biological children, it, it may happen by plan, it may happen not. But, uh, you know, if you have biological children, when they come out, they don't come with a manual. You know, you don't have a glove box to open. You know, okay, this is what you do. Here's page seven. No. But with us, we were fortunate in that we got a leg up. We got a little bit of a chance to kind of understand uh, you know what it means to be a parent and of course we didn't know but Tom already had this young lady right here in mind she was with a family a white family uh, that had been her foster family and uh, their name was Rhodes and her foster name was Abby okay so <laughs> it'll hit you in a minute um, <laughs> and now my daughter oldest daughter she has a cat and the cat's name is Abby so so uh, anyway uh, we didn't know, but the, but Whitney, with adoption agencies, Christian adoption agencies, they have a period, most states, of about five months, and if they don't adopt out, the child has to go into the system, and whoever wants can adopt them. Well, they wanted her to find a Christian home. Mm -hmm. And they told us, now, if you go out there and see her and you don't want the baby, you can, you can just you know, make another choice. And we said, absolutely not. We're not about to go out through that emotional roller coaster and see the baby not have a choice. So we went down to the Rhodes family, and we, we saw them. We spent some time in their home. And here they brought Whitney out, and I put her in my arms, and she immediately threw up on me. <laughs> so I said, the deal is sealed. Okay? <laughs> and, uh, we, and let me tell you, the night before, I had a great deal of anxiety because, you know, again, I grew up in the racial South. Racism doesn't just jump out of your body, okay? It hangs on. It stays in there. And even though I thought I was clear of all of that, I remember having second thoughts about, do I want to adopt a child that doesn't look like me, you know? And so I called my good friend Dwight Robarts, Charm Robarts, out in uh, Abilene at the time. They were working there. And they had been foster parents, and they had adopted Chelsea, was their youngest daughter. And so we, we called them up and we said, how did it go? What did you think about it? How, was, how did it happen? What happened? Well, and Chelsea was a really, she had a difficult childhood. She was malnourished. Her mother was a, a drug addict. And so they had a lot of hurdles they had to overcome with her. And they said, if we could do it with Chelsea, you can do it with, with Abby and, at the time. And uh, so we, uh, we went down, we made the visit, we made the choice, and three months later, we were parents, you know. And that's, uh, that's a, a little challenging. You know, December, you're, you're thinking about it. February, you got a baby, you know. And Whitney was four months old when we adopted her. And the interesting thing, when she became five months old, she slept from seven at night to seven in the morning. She didn't want to be held. She didn't want to be rocked. She just wanted to get in her crib and go to sleep. And so, you know, God at least sort of gave us a blessing in the beginning. She had an easy personality. Now, that changed drastically when she was 12. I won't go into that story. But, uh, but anyway, at the first, we were sort of led along, you know. And uh, Whitney has been a wonderful blessing to us. She's a very spiritual girl. She, she prays. She, she loves people. Uh, she is just a wonderful individual. She was in PR at Abilene. She went to work for a, uh, a friend of hers in uh, Fayetteville. And then uh, a couple, three or four years later, her and her husband moved to Austin, and now they, he works for ACU, and she's an 
independent contractor for, she does social media for businesses. And I'm like, man, is that a dream job or what? She said, Dad, it's not as easy as you think. <laughs> but uh, Whitney has been a great blessing. And then we got Charles, okay? Not Charlie, not Chuck. We got Charles, okay? <laughs> and uh, Charles comes from a wonderful family. He has an older brother and he has a younger sister. And they all have families. Charles will be the, the last one in his family to have a, a baby of his own. And, uh, and, and so we're really thankful for him. He's just been a tremendous blessing to us, a tremendous blessing to our family. And so then about uh, two years later, roughly, um, we're sitting in our house one day and we get a phone call from Memphis, Tennessee. And these people said, we are friends of a, somebody here in Memphis who has a friend in Tallahassee who has a baby. And they knew we had Whitney and they wanted to know if we were interested in adopting another baby. And we said, we sure are interested. So it was a dentist and an anesthesiologist, and they were a white family that were in, in Tallahassee. And I have to tell you, this is a sad part of the story. They really intended to adopt Kelsey, my one right here. But their family was so prejudiced that they would not accept the baby. Now that's sad. That's a really, and we, we, could, we could not tell Kelsey that until she got older. It was a hard, hard thing. And when we, when we first held Kelsey and we're with her, we're like, how could anyone, how could anyone never not love a baby like her? Uh, she was not as much to, for sleeping, but she was otherwise a very gentle <laughs> personality. She would share anything, give anything away. She was just the sweetest baby in the world. And, uh, and we were very blessed by her, a different personality from Whitney. And you know, they're like a lot of siblings. They just fought and fought a lot when they were, became teenagers and kicked each other's door and said words and all that. And we're so thankful in recent years that they've reconciled and now they're they, they like, uh, you know, not the best of friends, but they're now get along very well and love on each other. So for that, uh, we're very thankful. So, you know, we're, Whitney's about to be this uh, year. She will be um, 30 years old. Uh, Kelsey will be, uh, I think, 29 in December. So we've been very blessed in our family. Now, here's another thing that happened to us. When our kids turned 16, by then we had a lot of black friends, you know, that knew us, knew our families, loved on us, took care of us. And a couple of things happened. One, there was a family in our church, white family. They had grown up. They were much, a little bit older, about, about 15, 20 years older than us, maybe 15. Uh, and they, uh, they had grown up in the segregated South in Tennessee, moved down to Florida, lived here. And when our Whitney was born, the lady had been a kindergarten teacher. She had retired from being a kindergarten teacher. She said, I don't know what you plan to do about Whitney, but I'm going to keep her in my house. Okay. And then when Kelsey came along, we thought there's no way we could share the burden of two children with her. And she told, she told us, if you do anything other than let me have both those girls, I'm going to be highly offended. Okay? <laughs> so... So that was a real blessing for us. And, and, and here it is, God takes people that grew up in this environment in the segregated South. He brings these white people into the world of understanding and He brings love across the lines, okay? That's a real blessing for us. Then another thing that happened, when, when their kids were about to start driving, uh, one of our black families said to us, have you had the conversation with them yet? And I'm like, we talked about sex a long time ago. <laughs> they said, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the driving conversation, okay? What are you going to do when the police stops you? I said, well, we don't ever get stopped. We ever get stopped by the police. And they're like, yeah, but you're white, you know? So they said, you need to have the conversation. We did have the conversation, and we've heard many families now. We understand fully what the conversation is. And my oldest daughter, she had been driving a couple of years. She had it, got stopped by a police officer, and it didn't go well, I have to tell you. And it just so happened, I actually knew the, the officer's commanding officer, 
and I had a conversation with him after that. I have to tell you, and uh, but that was just not. And then both so both of our kids have had those bad experiences, you know, out driving, being stopped, and I know many of you have. And so you know, it's been a really um, tough go in some ways. It's been hard for us to see and understand, but God has begun to, over time to open our hearts and help us in our in our drive to be uh, His person. So I want to talk to you about five reasons that churches need diversity. First reason is it's biblically mandated. Now, if you go all the way back to Genesis, one of the things that God said He was going to do for all people is He's going to bring a blessing. Abraham was before there was a Jewish nation. Out of Abraham came the Jewish nation. But He said, I'm not going to just bless this one nation. I'm going to bless all nations, you know? God flat out told Israel, I didn't choose you because you were some special people. I chose you because I loved you. Okay? And the truth is, God loves all people. You move over to Isaiah. And Isaiah says, I will give you as a light to the goyim, the nations, the Gentiles. Is how, If you read some translations, it says Gentiles. But it means not just Gentiles, it means all nations. That my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It's always been God's plan. To save all people, not just one select group. He's not a white God. He's not a black God. He's not a Hispanic God. He, he's a God of everybody. And so here in Jonah, this is the, one of the greatest stories in Jonah, is this word comes to Jonah after he told God he wasn't going to do it and he ended up in a, in a fish and got spewed out on the bank, right? The Lord, you know, uh, made a deposit on the bank and drew out a little prophet. You know that story, don't you? Well, this is what happened here. Ding, ding. The, the Lord came to Jonah a second time and he said, okay, now you're going to do what I told you the first time? And he does. He goes over to Nineveh. He sets out across this great city and it's a huge city, a big city, and it's a pagan city. It's a city of Goyim, Gentiles. It's not a city of Jews. He goes over there and he cries out in 40 days, shortest sermon ever preached, 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. That meant they were sad. They were, they were, they were sorry for what they had done and who they were. So, whoops, hit the wrong button. There we go. And so, when the news reaches the king, he rose from his throne, and he removes his robe. He covers himself with sackcloth and ashes. And then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king, his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed and not drink water. Human beings and animals, notice, human beings and animals will be covered with sackcloth and they'll cry mightily to God, to Elohim, to Yahweh, right? Not their God, not their pagan God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that's in their hands. Who knows, God may relent and change His mind. He may turn His fierce anger so that we do not perish. In chapter 3, when God saw what they did, He turned, how they turned from their evil ways, He changed His mind about calamity, and He had said He would bring upon them, and He did not do it. And you remember the rest of the story, how God, Jonah, is just sulking and pouting and sulking because He is prejudiced. He doesn't like the Gentiles. He doesn't like the people of Nineveh. He doesn't want them to be, we're the people of God, Jonah thinks. We're the only ones that God loves. We are the superior race, right? We're the ones that God should, should love on. But notice that God tries to teach him a lesson about this little bush that he brings up to shade him. And he said, you know, 
you're more concerned about that bush than you are all of this 120,000 people that didn't know their right hand from the left and also the animals. You felt a greater compassion for that bush than you did for the people. God wants His church to be diverse. In Matthew, it says, Go and make disciples of all nations. You remember that text? Well, that word for nations is the word ethnos, from which we get our word ethnic. So it is actually saying God wants you to go to every ethnic group, every group of people. And we know this because you go over to Acts and he tells the, the, the disciples, the apostles, I want you not only to go to Jerusalem and Judea, and the apostles are thinking, good deal, we love it. That's all Jews, right? And to Samaria, not Jews. Goyim, ethnos. You know, these are the people of the world, the people that the Jews didn't want to have anything to do with. They had their plans. If they had to go through Samaria, they would often go around Samaria. If they had to go through, they didn't let the dust rest on their feet. They flew on through, right? So the story of Jesus in John 4 is so radical that he would not only travel through Samaria, but he would stop and talk in the middle of the day in a public place to a woman, okay? So you got a lot of different prejudices rolling around in that story. But in this book, he says you're going to go out to the ends of the world. When we get to um, the story in Acts 2 where Peter and all these disciples are preaching, notice that you have all of these different Jews, and these are different ethnic groups among the Jews. There were Jews from every ethnos, ethne, right? under heaven, living in Jerusalem. The Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, the Mesopotamians, the Judeans, the Cappadocians, the Pontans, all of these different people were there and they spoke different languages. Even though they were Jews, they were from different cultures. They spoke different languages. When we travel to Israel, when we travel, I have been with a friend actually up into Syria, I've been down to the Gaza Strip, and you hear all kinds of stories in our country about what those places are like and who the people are like. But let me tell you, I've been to all of those places and those people are just like us. They're human beings. They have hearts. They have souls. And God forbid the kinds of things that happen to people in those areas like they do in other parts of the world. But they speak the same language. They speak Arabic. But they have different cultures. And we see this all over the world. God wants to reach those people as well. So... Every nation of people were gathered there in this place. Second thing, monoracial churches are the easy way out. When I went to uh, Fuller Theological Seminary, I, went in, I was in church growth. And Donald McGavern had been the father, okay, of church growth. And one of his principles, he didn't start out this way. In the beginning, he was very much for heterogeneous churches. But he changed his philosophy and his approach. I don't know what happened. But he decided that, you know, really the best thing to do is to have churches where all the people are like each other. They grow a lot faster. You know why that is? Because it's easy. It's easier to do it that way. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I know there are churches that don't want to sacrifice their culture for, for integration and all that. I understand that. I see it all over the world. It, it, it happens. And I'm just thankful that Jesus is being preached, whatever the environment it is. Whether we're an African American church, a white church, whatever kind of church we are, we're thankful that Jesus is being preached. But I tell you, that this is basically, overall, the easier way out. Notice. You ever notice this scripture? Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. Did not the Old Testament talk about loving each other? Didn't he talk? So what does that mean? I give you a new commandment. Doesn't seem to make any sense to me. Just as I've loved you, you should love one another. Well, let's think about it this way. Have you ever thought about the makeup of the disciples? You had a tax collector. Now, what did Jews think about them? Right? You had a zealot. And not all Jews were zealous. They believed in getting along, going along, getting along. They were like the white South during the Civil Rights Movement. 
you know, we don't believe it's right, but we're just going to stand on the sidelines and not get involved, right? So there were Jews that were like that. They weren't zealots. And then you had Judas, probably the best educated guy in the whole group. And you had fishermen. And all of these guys were brought together. Normally, they wouldn't be in the same room. They certainly wouldn't sit down at the same table. And they were all Jews. Jesus says, when I'm coming, I'm giving you a new way to do it. No matter who you are, even if you're in the same, even the same language group, you still need to love on each other. So I believe this is what Jesus is getting at in this text. So I give you this new commandment that you love one another. Then notice, over in John 17, Jesus says, I'm not just asking about these disciples of mine who were a little bit diverse in their makeup, you know, different, different places they came from. Not just, that they, not just they would get along, but I'm praying for all of those that believe in me through your word, all of those, right, who believe in me through your word, that they may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, they may be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. I don't know what your view of the way things are going to work out in the end, if it's renewed earth, heaven, you know, away from the earth, whatever. But one thing's for sure, one day we are all, whether we want to be or not, we're going to be together. All of us. We're not going to be in our own little area of the world. We're not going to be in our own little culture. We're going to be together. So it seems to me that now is the time for us to come together and to learn what it means for us to be together. Another thing I've learned, cross-race relationships enrich our lives. And they add value. How sad it would have been if we had adopted children that were just like us. We wouldn't have learned a lot of the things that we know now. How sad it would be if all of my friends just looked like me. How sad it would be if I was in a church where you know, all the people just, you know, we all agreed on everything. We just, we just were just happy to go right along with, with the same path, you know. Never challenged much. But in the environment where you have cross-race relationships, they help to enrich your lives. There's a text in 1 Corinthians 12. Let's take a brief look at it here that I want to share with you. Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Now, I don't think Paul is, is envisioning, because he isn't talking to Corinth, right? This is an area where Greeks would live, where some Jews lived. So there were a variety of people there. It wasn't just one race of people. And so he's envisioning, he's using this analogy of the body, but he really is talking about more than just one race of people. He's talking about all these people brought together in this one body. I believe that was one of the challenges that Corinth faced is that you had people that had come to Corinth from all over the parts of the world and now they're trying to come together in this newly formed right body of Christ and learn how to get along. But notice he says, in the one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, we're all made to drink of the one spirit. So here's some of the categories of people that existed in Paul's day. And he says the idea is in the body of Christ, not that we don't celebrate our diversity, who we are, but you know our particular race or our particular background can become an idol. Just look at Hitler, right? Germany. That's what happened. The idolization of a race of people over everybody else. And in the name of religion is what, how it happened. So Paul is saying here, when he gets into the body of Christ, yes, you celebrate your African-Americanness. Yes, you celebrate your Caucasianness. Yes, you celebrate your Latinaness. Whatever it is, you celebrate your ethnicity. But it is not to be reached to the level 
of God, right? It's not God. It's who we are. And God has brought us together in all of these cultures in the body of Christ. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but many. You know, I would like to have it my way. I love it my way. I'm less hard to get along with when I have it my way. And so when I'm at home and I'm in the minority over the opinion of things going on when our kids were little, that didn't sit well with me every time, right? And I had to learn to, okay, just calm down, take a deep breath, and let's get on with it, right? That's the way we have to do sometimes in the body of Christ. We have been over the last two elections in our church. My wife and I have just held our breath. We've said, Lord God, Lord Jesus, please do not allow explosions to occur in our church, okay? Because we got some widely different opinions on who should be president and how things should go and all this, right? And our prayer is let, let peace and harmony reign. Let us learn how to talk to each other, to share with each other, and to share our feelings without making it God or making it the only way. But we do that so very often, you know? And so in this one body, we're not supposed to say, okay, you're a foot. Man, you're ugly too. You don't even belong in this body. (laughs) You're an arm and you're the wrong color. You don't belong in this body, right? That is not the way you look at it. I never say that to my body, you know? About a, three or three weeks ago, I hit my little toe in one of the chairs in our house. And of course, first thing I was thinking is to let it fly with why somebody moved that stupid chair into that place <laughs> where it didn't belong, right? I'm not a furniture rearranger. I'm a furniture leave it where it is person, okay? <laughs> so when that furniture got rearranged, I banged my toe and it turned just as dark as it could and it was broken, obviously. I was not happy, you know? And, and every part of my body said, man, we are so sorry that that toe down there is not happy. And not a piece of my body said, we're going to cut your head off. You know? Not a one of them said that. They just said, this is okay. We're, you're going to be all right. The rest of us toes, we'll just mosey along with you. We'll take care of you, okay? So you don't worry about it. So you get the point. In the body of Christ, there is no raising up of one part of the other. There's no because you're not what you should be, because you're not an ear or an eye or whatever else, one of the more prominent parts, uh, you don't belong in the body. No. We should be a people like our Father and read the prophets at least once a year to remind ourselves that our God loves those who don't have. God loves every person. He loves the marginalized. He loves those that have been treated unjustly. He loves people who do His will above all other things. That's the kind of God that He is. Well, another thing that I think helps us are to understand is that segregation reinforces prejudice. Now, not always, okay? But, but many times have I seen this occur. In the Bible, it was a prominent feature. Remember the story of Paul and Peter in Galatians 2? Cephas came to Antioch. I opposed him to his face. Why? Because he stood self-condemned for until certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Now, you remember James? He was one of the pillars in the church in Jerusalem. James and John were pillars. They represented the Jewish people. They were a part of that Jewish church that started. And so they were very Jewish. They were very much involved in everything that went on. Now, we think this is pre Acts 15. You know the conference in Acts 15 where Jews and all came together to decide what do we need to do in relationship to our Gentile brothers and sisters. We think this is before that. So here, as long as there are no Jews in town, I'm eating with everybody. But when the Jews come into town, 
he drew back and he kept himself separate. He wanted to live that, that li try to live on that line. And notice not that. How is it that, that our prejudice affects other people? You know, the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy. So that even Barnabas, now Barnabas was a major leader. He was a missionary. He worked with Paul. They reached people all over the world. So here's a man of influence. He is being influenced. When you've got your leaders being influenced by something bad, that's a really dangerous place. And that's what was going on. But when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the Gospel, no Jew, no Gentile, no slave, no free, no barbarian, no Scythian, no male, no female. That's the Gospel. I said to Cephas before them all, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? When we are in a segregated place, it has a negative impact on our thoughts, the way we behave, and on the way the life of the church goes. And finally here, in these five reasons churches need diversity, diversity models unity. There's no longer Jew or Greek, no longer slave or free, no longer male or female, for you, all of you are one in Christ Jesus. I believe, my opinion is, and it's my opinion, that this verse is the overarching principle of how we should behave in the body of Christ. How we should handle so many things in the body of Christ. And I know there's some controversy in that area, so I'm not going to jump into that one today. But I really believe that this is what God intends. He doesn't mean for me to look at you and say, well, I can't tell if you're male or female. He doesn't intend for me to look at you and say, I can't tell if you're black or white. He certainly does not mean for me to say, I'm colorblind, okay? That's one of the most offensive things I think we could ever say to anybody. Uh, because we want to celebrate who we are, but we don't want to allow it to become such a focus that everything else takes a back seat. Who we are is important, but it's good to know that it's in Christ Jesus that we all come together. That's where God brings us together in the family of God. So in Colossians 3, I love this verse, these verses. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've been stripped off, you've stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. And now, even though the word renewal is not in the Greek text of this, the, the New Revised Standard just really is doing it contextually. So this is a case of contextual translation. He says, in that renewal, in other words, in the renewal of you having put off this old way of life and put on a new way of life, this renewal that's going on in you and Jesus, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. So when I am renewed by the blood of Jesus, when I'm changed by the power of God, I look at the world in a different way. Remember Paul says, I don't look at things the way I used to. And how did he used to look at it? It's Jews and Jews only. Jews for, Jews for God, not Jews for Jesus. Jews for, Jews for Elohim. Jews for Yahweh. And anybody else that's not on board, your life's in danger. I'm taking you to jail to start with. So that was his life before. Well, let's talk about, as we kind of bring this all together, three important qualities. Now these, again, this is from somebody who's white, okay? So I'm probably missing it all together. If I do, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to... These are some things I think in my opinion, that I've learned from others and that I think would help us. One is authenticity. I really love that Faith Haygood, yesterday in our class, we, he was talking about black church, white church, good church, bad church, and he had us get together in groups and he had us to share 
And then he had those from different cultures to share their impression of the other culture's way of putting things, okay? And, and that was so good. And then he said, I'm going to try to ask you something else hard to do. I want you to go to dinner tonight together, and I want you to go to worship together, and I want you to tell me how it turned out, okay, tomorrow. That's today. So we'll go back today and share a little bit about how all that went. But one of the things that he talked about is that it's hard to get to a place where you're authentic and you're honest. One of the ladies in our group yesterday says, is it okay to call y'all Caucasian? And I said, sure, you can call. I've been called, you know, that doesn't, doesn't offend me. And that's one of the problems we have, right? What are the terms? What are the, what's the language? We have to get to the language. What language can we use to communicate with each other? What, how can we help each other understand? How can I know what it's like for you when the police pull you over? How can I know what it's like for your family living in that world? How can you know what it's like for me in, in, in the environment I am? How can we understand each other? We've got to have a language, right? That we can talk. You know how this is. We've been in our church talking about discipleship. And we flat out told the church, we've got to change our vocabulary. Okay? We have been living in, in this routine. We have been living in this, uh, this uh, uh, mode of life that's just gotten to be where, where we don't really challenge each other. We don't have accountability. And we've got to change our whole language, you know, in talking about discipleship. We've got to change our language when it comes to how we communicate with each other. And, you know, honestly, we've got to take a little bit of the edge off, right? We've got to be a little less uh, uh, chip on our shoulder, right? Because i got one, okay? i got a chip up there. And so I have to be careful about it when certain things come up or certain conversations are going on. Uh, Whitney, again, she's been a great blessing, our oldest daughter. Uh, back in the day, I was working as a volunteer for the local high school. I was doing some work for the city, and, and I was spending a lot of time away from home. And one night I came in, and they were all sitting at the uh, kitchen table, and she said, Dad, thank you for stopping by our house. You know? oh, I'm like, oh. hold on, baby, hold on. You know, boom, right in the face, right? Not spending enough time with the family. Not having time to build the relationships, you know. And that's what we got to have. we got to have authenticity. we got to have a common language. we got to be able to share with each other so that we can get along and, and love on each other. Okay, years ago, a friend of mine, he said, here's one of the things I've used in our church. Feel free to use it. It's not original with me. But the church is a place where everybody has their say, but no one person has his or her way. Okay? Now, that's a hard thing to live up to. When we first came to Melbourne, uh, I thought I was short-lived. You know, I was trying to preach grace. I was trying to preach what I thought the Word was. And I had several people in the church that said, you know, they said, you might as well go on over and preach for the Baptist church. You know, that's what you're teaching over here. You know, we don't want you over here. And they had all kinds of kind of hateful things that they would say about the way I was doing things. And, and so I called up this brother that gave me this saying, and, and I talked to him, and he said, well, the first thing you need to do, just take a deep breath. It's going to be okay, all right? You're not the first person that's ever gone through this situation. God's going to take care of you. So we had some rough years there in the beginning. But as we moved along, we started to really try to teach this idea. You know, it's not my church. It's not your church. It's not right for me to develop an agenda and say I'm going to push that agenda. When I first came to Melbourne, I knew what God's church ought to be and I was sure going to make it that. Okay, That's what I was after. And it took me four or five years for God to say no, no, no. Okay, And for other people around me to say no, that's not it. That's not it at all. And what a blessing it was. This is probably fast forward about 15 or 16 years. We're in our new facility we built. And one of the ladies in our church came up to me in tears and she said to me, now I know that you really didn't have any agenda here. You just wanted to do the right thing in our church family. And we both started crying when she said that. <laughs> because, you know, it, you have to get to a place in authenticity, authenticity, 
authenticity and honesty. And uh, you have to be at a place where you can have your say because when people are heard, they can tolerate a lot. So we had this one couple. They were about 72 or 3 years old in our church at this about the same time opening up our new facility. And they came to me and said, you know, we don't like it all the way y'all are doing worship here, but it's our church and we're, we're staying. We're not going anywhere, okay? We don't agree with it, but we can tolerate it. It's basically what she was saying. Well, that's a great day. When you have people that know you're not the only person in this church, we got people of all ages. We got young people that need perhaps to be reached with a different methodology than the older folks. And so now, you know, we try, 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 try. We don't always succeed to be a people that says, you know, yes, we need to hear each other, but not everybody's going to be able to have their way in this situation. And then finally, providing a safe place for less dominant cultures and individuals to speak up. I remember um, another crying moment is, um, uh, this was probably just a little bit past the time I mentioned just a minute ago about after we'd moved in our building. Uh, I said to one of our ladies in our church, her name's Miss Dodd, I said, Miss Dodd, I said, um, you know, it's really amazing to me that we've turned out to be a church that has as much diversity as we do. And she said, well, you know, that shouldn't seem strange to you. Look at your own family. She said, when people come over here, they know it's a safe place to come, you know, because they know, you're, know you and your family. Well, I had not thought about it that way. That shows you I was thinking from white eyes and not otherwise, right? And, uh, and so then we start decided, hey, this is a core value we need to start promoting, you know? And so I call it uh, a, a business card evangelism. I see people out in the community, I think, a fit in our church. I say, man, here you go. Come over there and see us sometime. Come visit us in our church. And it, it has really been a great thing. But we simply do. We have to be able... Here's, here's another mistake we made. When we started saying we're going to be a more diverse church, we would have friend day and every face up there waiting on the table doing all the jobs reading the scripture are all white. And one of our ladies in our church said, you know, I don't think you figured it out yet. You know, <laughs> I don't think you figured it out yet. Until you get to the point where you have on your staff in your leadership, people that represent the different people groups in your church, you are not going to become a diverse church. Now that's just a fact. And I learned that from someone who's done it, okay, from other people. And I'm seeing it now more often, you know. And I revel, I, I praise God on a given Sunday when we have a lot of visitors from different communities and we have a good, we have a, a, a very diverse you know, representation in our, our groups that are, that are presenting. And you say, well, is that really a, the way you have to go about it? Yes, you have to be, you have to be determined about what you're doing. You're not trying to say somebody's better than anybody else, but you're trying to say we value all people. We want the people that may not feel like it's a place where they can speak out and share to feel comfortable where they can speak out and share. So we provide this place for these less dominant cultures uh, to speak up. Now, another thing, and June Garvin is one of our members in our church. Uh, her husband is a, a medical doctor, and she is... Uh, Walter, what is her job exactly she's a educator she's a business person yes yeah, she's that uh well she's uh, she's a social worker she's done a lot yeah. of stuff yeah. things. walter is the youth minister in our church and his wife's our children's minister and he's <clears throat> great and walter's also a good preacher too he's probably going to kick me out one of these days so i'm getting a little too old for this business anyway uh, here's one of the things she taught us is about table fellowship or what one person calls the ethnic round table uh we had a retreat on monday called uh a racial Unity Leadership Summit. And it's something that Jerry Taylor, some of you may know Jerry at Adeline Christian, he has started this. Him and Eric Wilson out here at Pepperdine. 
and uh, there's a few other people. I think Rudy Haygood's involved in it, uh, 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 Fate's brother. Several people involved in this. Ogeré Haygood, that's uh, Fate's, uh, Rudy's wife, they're involved in this. And up there, Don McLaughlin had us do this exercise. He said, okay, I've got a table out here. At this table, I want a mix of cultures. I want old, young, I as the old guy. So I was a volunteer, so we had five people at that table. And he said, this is what we do in our church, you know. And he said, I want you to answer this question. And he, we had a question that we dealt with about getting along and understanding each other in our various cultures. And I thought, man, that's a great way. But, but June taught us this years ago. She had a thing she called teacup groups. And she was really good at making sure that those teacup groups were a mix of people. Young, old, you know, different cultures in our church. And when you sit down around the table with somebody, it's where you really get to know who they are. You'll never really understand another person. There's something about eating together that just brings it out. My mother knew that, bless her soul. She knew that. She knew if I can just get this man to come in our house and sit at our table, we'll be like family. And that's the way she believes it. She thinks everybody ought to be a part of our family. And she's fed more people in our part of Alabama than any woman I know. And when she recently broke her pelvis and went into the nursing home, they said, what is going on? All these people coming up here to see this woman. She must be somebody really important. But she worked in a shoe factory her whole life, worked with her hands, worked on the farm, and, and is still blessing people today. But she knew this. June Garvin knows this. We, we really know it too, don't we? Until we sit down around the table together, we're never really going to understand each other. And, uh, and I believe that's what God wants to do. I think that's what He wants to do with every one of us. Any questions y'all might have? I'm, that's about all I have for you today. I hope it I gives you, you some uh, blessing. Can you repeat uh, four, number four for uh, five reasons? Oh, yeah, sure. Let's back up here. There they are. Okay. Does that help you? Yeah. <laughs> Any other questions that you guys have? Yes, sir. Josh? What are some of the challenges that you specifically had at the church? Like, are there any really hard conversations that you guys have had at the church where maybe somebody wasn't on board? Yeah, you know, I honestly, I think we lost some people. Oh, and I hate to think it's over race, but I believe it is. I really do believe. I believe there are people that because, you know, we do a certain thing in our worship service, the way we do songs or whatever else. And, you know, Walter helps us. Uh, Tyrone Carter is one of our worship leaders. They help us to, you know, to blend the singing culture. You know how the first church I preached for was an African-American church. And the, the style of singing, the way we sang was way different than what I grew up uh, in my church, you know. And so I think, you know, I think it might be subconscious. I hope it's subconscious. I hope it's not accurate. But I think there are some people that really have resisted because they just don't like they want it to be white, right? They want it to be white. I think another challenge that we had was trying to convince our leaders at the time that we must have people on staff and in leadership who are not like us, okay? We have to have the other voices in our church to be heard. So that, I think, has been one challenge. Walter, do you think of any that, you, that we faced? I know there's a lot we have. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you mentioned a couple of them. Um, you know, so there were some certainly some of the similar challenges you talked about. I've had some of those same kinds of challenges. Oh, I bet you have. Yeah. yeah, I know. Um, so, uh, you know, saying, you know, so, so there's some challenges in terms of me have crossing that cultural and racial divide. Yeah. You know, with, our, with some of our students and some of our families. Yeah. And, you know, do things like other people did oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know you're different uh yeah um, <laughs> so um so you know we've, we've had those things and some tough conversations i know that um uh, you know like my wife especially 
uh, Steve mentioned about the, the politics and everything. My wife uh, is much more of an extrovert than I am. Yeah. So she's very, very outspoken, and um, you know some of the things that you know she's she doesn't mind expressing her political view. It's different than a lot of our many yeah. of our members. And I just leave it there and let you fill in the gaps. <laughs> and, um, and a lot of that has come through Facebook. You know, we've had right. members that post these real posts about you yeah, know, their political say, view or whatever right. else, and, and, and that gets the ball rolling, right? Yeah. So. And so, you know, and so people have, have said that and, and said some just sometimes nasty things, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, but it is something that you have to be willing to work through. And uh, one of the things that I was, attracted to, to Melbourne was the diversity that was there uh, because I think it would have been very difficult for me to come to a church that was just, you know, like lily white. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but you know, you have to be willing to put in the work and willing to build the relationships and willing to, uh, to listen and, uh, and also to, uh, to listen, but also that, uh, you know, minorities need to be heard, obviously, as well. Yeah, there's, uh, there's been some yeah. challenges. There, there definitely have. Yes, sir. Uh, I just wanted to share. Uh, I grew up in Alabama. We talked about that briefly. And the church that I attended, we talked about faith, hate with his class yesterday. He said he had everybody to answer the question about the difference between a predominant black church and a predominant white church. <laughs> I couldn't answer that question because at the time when I became a member of the Church of Christ, it was actually when I first started going to church. Our church, I think, was the first church to actually uh, integrate. Really? So it was wow. a black side church and a white side of church, and I came on board right when that had taken place. Really? Wow. But one of the challenges was, when, when I grew up, we used to laugh about it, and now when I think about it, sometimes it's not funny. No, I bet. Church attendance was based on who was preaching. Really? Mm -hmm. yes. So if it was going to be a white preacher, most of the black people wouldn't come because they were like, that's a certain monotone. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if it was a black preacher, you know, they take good style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then white people wouldn't come, and it was the same with the worship wow. style. Wow. And it took a little while to get over that, and wow. they, about two years ago, they just had a celebration of 50 years of that church surviving. Uh, I hate to use that word surviving, but yeah. it, it survived that integration that they did. And yeah. so uh, yeah. that was some of the challenges that we saw, I saw growing up. Let's take one more and we can talk. we got folks, I think, waiting to come in. But let, let's take one more. And then what I want us to do to close is make a circle and just grab hands. We're going to pray, okay? Is that all right? Everybody okay with that? Uh, yes, sir. Have a dilemma because we have the Lily White Church. Okay. And we've had biracial couples. We've had um, some black families with us for a while. They don't tend to stay. Um, we also ha have a problem with having enough song leaders. So we had a <coughs> black brother who had the most, and he had led singing before in other congregations. So I approached him and I said, hey, Ronnie, we really, and he was an attorney in DC. Yeah. So, so he's a high powered, you know, <clears throat> so pretty good sense of self. Um, so I, I talked to Ronnie, I said, Ronnie, we really need you to song lead. He says, okay, I'll do it. And then he said, no, I'm not gonna do it. And I said, well, why not, Ryan? Uh, he said, because I've seen the way people look. Yeah. And I don't want my little son 
to see when Daddy's up there leading singing the way I'm going to lead singing. I don't want my son to see people looking that way. And my problem as a white uh, preacher is how do we move? I mean, I, I'm not into tokenism. I'm not into, oh, let's go. We need some black families. You know, no, I want to care about them as people. If they're black, fine. If they're white, fine. But how do we move into that state of integration where black families are comfortable with us lily white folks who really want to be a representative of the kingdom of God and also a representative of the community in which we live? So I'm asking my black brothers and sisters, help me out. You know, I need, and if we probably don't have time to have that conversation right. now. I'd love to have that conversation yeah. by the internet with you, you know, emailing. So please, please help me to figure out how to break our color chemistry. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, let's get share information, okay, after the class is over. And let me recommend a book to you along that line. It's by Dave Ireland. He is an African American preacher. His church is, it's not a church Christ, but they are a diverse church. He has a book called The Skin I Live In. Okay, and that that's a that's a good book that'll give you. He gives some suggestions, I thoughts in that book. It's not the best thing. There are others that, that probably are better, but off the top of my head, I'm not grabbing it right now. Okay, but I think that is the best thing is to have conversation. And I tell people, do you, how many black friends you got? You know, do you have any black friends? Do you have any white friends? You know, it's time to set up. You know, so in your neighborhood, we our neighborhood was very diverse. We used to live in, and honestly, I hadn't sat down with very many people in our neighborhood. So we started inviting people over to our house. You know. And started going to their house. That's where you get to know people. That's where you get to find out about them. So, let's all get. I'm sorry, ma'am. I was just say real quick. I think service really. We have the same thing. We have a predominantly white church in Kansas okay. City. Kansas City churches are very, uh, you know, black churches, white churches. Oh yeah. yeah. And um, so we're trying to connect with our brothers and sisters. And one of the black churches uh, had started a food pantry. So my husband and I. He's the preacher. We started going, and we've been working with them for around eight to okay. ten years. Okay. And so now, when we go to you know these worships where we're mixed together, people say, "Oh, I've heard about you. You've been working with the downtown church," and that's what's building a bridge with yeah. us too, and giving yeah. us a reputation. That's a good way to put it. Building bridges is a good way to put it. That's absolutely good. Way to put it.